Greetings, Princeps. Welcome to the seventh episode of the God Machine Cast, a weekly podcast dedicated to discussing the Adeptus Titanicus Wargame produced by Games Workshop. In this show, I am going to cover recent news, questions from the community, and a deep dive into the Legio Graphonicus, the War Griffins. But before all that, podcast news. Um, not much to report in this last week. Uh, I'm still trying to play with my new microphone and see if I can improve the sound quality of the show. Uh, hopefully you've noticed a slight improvement again. Um, I'd also, once again, like to ask all listeners to rate and review the show on their podcasting app of choice. Uh, recommend the uh, podcast to a friend. And uh, if you've seen a Facebook group or an email group or a Reddit thread that... Uh, no one's spoken about my podcast before in, uh, speak up, uh, let others know I exist. Uh, bigger the community grows, more questions I'll get, um, more input I'll have from other people, and better the show becomes. You can reach out and contact me uh, through my Facebook page, which is The God Engine Cast. Um, I'm pretty good at answering messages on it. Uh, I also post there fairly frequently of updates of what I'm doing. I've been a little slow this week doing that. Um, this coronavirus stuff has got me down a bit. Um, but then also, uh, I have an email account, uh, god.engine.cast at gmail.com. I'm more than happy to take questions and feedback there as well. Anyway, let's get on with the show. Okay. Time for me to issue a correction. Uh, in the last episode, I talked about the concealment barrage and Tracer Cloud as being stratagems that you could use multiple times. I forgot to check the FAQ. The FAQ has fixed this. You can now only take it once. Um, yeah, it needed to happen. I was talking about how overpowered they were for far too much of the show. Um, I still think individually they are worth way more than one point, um, and they're definitely a value pickup, And but I don't think they're going to be as broken. Uh, you're only going to deprive someone of not being able to target a Titan for one turn in a game, which may be a critical point in the game, but it's not going to be every turn. So I think that's um, definitely an improvement. Um, I'm very happy they've done that. Annoyed at myself that I didn't check the FAQ. I thought I'd remembered everything, but obviously I haven't. So apologies to those who I misdirected. Um, I hope no one played any games using my interpretation of the rules. Um, thankfully, at the moment, not many people playing games. Um, no, small mercy there. Ugh. Anyway, um, sorry, and like I say, if you hear me making a mistake in a future episode, shoot me an email on or a Facebook message, and I'll show a correction in the next episode. Thanks. Okay, time for some Games Workshop news. Part one of the Games Workshop news is going to be my review of the Engine Kill article posted to Warhammer community this week. This article focused on um, previewing the new book, The Defense of Riser. Um, it showed us, again, the preview of what the front, book's gonna, front of the book's going to look like, and it's gonna qu it quickly describes that it's really going to talk about uh, Horus's attack on Riser for the plasma weaponry that Riser contained. Apparently, the book's going to have six narrative missions um, focusing on the Defense of Riser, which is going to be pretty cool, and a variety of Titan legions are going to have their heraldry shown again. And they preview the color plates for Legion... Usdax, uh, Legion Magma, and Legion Honoranum. 
each uh, there are going to be six legions, uh, two loyal, three loyalist, and uh, three um, traitor. Uh, apparently, the Honoran and Ordax are going to be for the loyalists, and Magma and Volturnum for Horus and the Dark Mechanica. Apparently, they're also going to reprint the rules for Legio Crucius and Legio Mortis, as they are key in the Battle of Riser. I mean, Crucius are from Riser, and uh, obviously Mortis are Horus's own, so they would be leading the charge. Um, I've seen mixed people, mixed reviews of people talking about them reprinting these rules. Um, I think it's for the better. Maybe we'll see an updated version of these rules. Uh, I hope they don't update Mortis too much after doing the review show. But uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully it won't be an exact reprint, but uh, tidy the rules up a little. It'd be nice. Um, they show a couple of preview rules. Um, the Legio Honoranum, the Death Bolts, have a specific war gear, a piece of equipment. Uh, called the Basilisk Throne. Um, this 25-point upgrade means that the Princess Signoris' Titan automatically passes order checks. And once he's taken the order, it's they get to add plus one to the results than any other Titan on the battle group who also try and make that same order, which is pretty cool. Um, again, playing with the orders, which is a seems to be a fun way they're doing a lot with mechanics recently. Uh, they also talk, show us the preview of the Legion Magna, the Flaming Skulls, their trait, one of their traits, it's the Howls of the Damned. Uh, basically on this one, uh, you minus one of all command checks uh, within eight inches of Lido Magna Titan, and you can never re-roll a failed roll if you've had some way to do re-rolls. It's kind of powerful. Be interesting to see how it fits with their other abilities. And they preview the Levo Voltrum, the Gore Crows specific war gear, uh, which is frag shells. Uh, any Vulcan Megavolt or a Vulcan Megavolt array can be upgraded to Storm Frag Shell for 25 points or 45 points for a Megavolt array. Uh, each Titan has to be armed separately. So if you've got two um, Vulcan Megavolters on a Warhound, both of them have to take the 25% point upgrade. But the advantage of this, it allows you to maximal fire your Volters, uh, which is kind of fun. But it also makes the weapons more inaccurate at long range. This is kind of hilarious for the Warhounds. Uh, Mac Jewel um, Bolter is definitely the way to go for this Legio. I mean, you can be able to strip shields and then maximal fire for that plus two strength. Um, I mean, strength six Mega Bolters will rip a lot of Titans up if you get them on the flanks or start targeting an exposed uh, piece of her, uh, critical damage. I like it. Um, then it goes on to talk about the fact that the Defensive Rise book is going to reprint the rules that are from White Dwarf for creating your own Titan Legion, uh, modifying several of the traits, and they show a couple of previews of that. The Elite Magos trait has been toned down to allowing you to re-roll a single die, which is good. Uh, Elite Magos was really good, and this is a pretty good tone down. You also, when designing your own Legio, have to declare whether you're with the Emperor Horus or a Black Shield, which is an interesting new way to play the game, I suppose. Um, and our, uh, Legio the Legio trait for anyone following the Black Shield Path walks the Path to Ascension, um, which is interesting. Uh, basically, this allows you to re-roll command checks if you're within 12 inches of a friendly Titan. Um, and also, uh, you get to share shields with someone who's shut down. Obviously, if one of your Titans is shut down and you've got a Titan next to them, uh, that Titan next to them allows them to quickly give them shields to help save them, which is kind of cool and uh, thematic. Uh, it also gives us some new... Uh, Specific war gear, plasma rifling, and uh, reactor fetters. Uh, rifling uh, allows plasma weapons to shoot longer, uh, and then reactor fetters um, allow you to vent plasma easier, but limits the number of times you can push reactors in a turn. 
In addition to this, the article also says there's going to be new manipuls, new uh, rules for knight alliances, uh, battle standards, whatever they are, uh, new knight houses, and a pile of new stratagems. Uh, they'll have new previews soon. I mean, obviously next month with the next engine kill. I doubt that Defensive Riser will come out before then, especially with the Games Workshop's factories being on hold. Um, also, as I said, added gift, the uh, article comes with a printout sheet so you can colour in your own Titan colours, which is kind of cool. I need to print one out and give it to my kids. Uh, that'd be kind of a fun thing to do. Okay, a small note here. I'm skipping community news for the foreseeable future. Uh, it's rather depressing as we look onto this COVID outbreak and with events being cancelled around the globe. I don't want to spend too much time reflecting on what could have been. So for now, I'm going to not include this section of the show in future episodes. But as restrictions start to ease when the uh, current crisis comes to its inevitable end and events start, start appearing again, I'll talk about them and let people know where they can go and play with their newly painted Titan legions they expect all of us to have by the time this outbreak's over. I know I'm making good progress on mine. Okay, I'm going to skip community questions this week. Uh, I've got one in the bank, which is a army list review. It's going to take me some time, and the rest of this episode runs pretty long as is. Uh, so I'm going to include the review of it on next week's episode. Um, if you've got additional questions you want to ask, I'm always willing. Uh, shoot me a Facebook message or an email to god.engine.cast at gmail.com. Thank you. Which brings me nicely to uh, what I've been up to in the hobby. Um, I've done a fair bit uh, since last time I talked about it on this podcast. I built the Warbringer, uh, magnetized it with all the spare arms I could find. I think I've got uh, two laser blasters, a volcano cannon, and a Gatling black blaster I can put on. Um, it looks pretty good. Uh, got it primed. Got all my new models primed, and I've started painting some of them. Started painting up a bit of the industrial scenery. Uh, it's easy to do when I'm bored or deep in a bottle of beer or something, I just want something simple to do. Uh, but the big project of the week has been applying transfers. I got two sets of the Legio Incarnum transfer kit when they came out. Uh, so I got all my Titans out, even the ones I'd already sealed, and been applying transfers to everything. Um, so I've done all three Reavers, my Warlord, my three Warhounds that I've had painted, and all my Knights. They've all been transferred up. Um, I'm going to try and get some weathering on them soon. I'm going to do painting weathering, and then I'm going to do weathering powders, and then I'll seal them all again. Um, the two reavers that I'd already sealed uh, only get the paint. I'm going to, I'm going to paint weather some of the transfers to fade them into the uh, model slightly, and then I'm just going to use a, a paint-on a paint sealant on them because they've already had one coat of art coat. Um, the rest of the models will get a series of uh, paints applied to them for weathering, a bit of stippling, rust... Uh, rain stripes, uh, the stuff they do on the Games Workshop tutorial videos, um, and then they'll be hit with weathering powders and then sealed. Um, the sealant being applied will be applied by spray, and I'm going to hope to do it when the weather gets better in Oklahoma. We had a couple of really good weeks of weather where I got everything primed last week and uh, the week before, but this week's got wetter and colder. Uh, I think you've even seen a freeze warning in some places in northern Oklahoma today. Um, but I'm hoping by, you know, by the middle of next week, end of next week, that the weather will recover and I'll have a window to do some priming again. Uh, we'll just have to see how the storms go. It's getting to that time of year where storms are a thing in Oklahoma. And that's really going to be my next week, uh, just carrying on with the weathering and priming. Uh, I just want to get all these guys done. Um, and once that's done, I can then move on to some new Titans, just start over them, knowing that I've finished my the models that have been put away. Uh, help me 
move forward in a more planned and clear way. Uh, we'll see how I do. Um, this morning before I sat down and started recording these podcasts, I got the news that I've been laid off from my uh, oil fill job. I've not worked the oil fill job since New Year. In fact, New Year's Day was the last day I worked on rig. Um, but it's still it's a little depressing. Um, it's the end of my career. I'm probably out of the oil industry now. Um, I've been wanting to leave for a while, but, uh, you know, being told they're closing up shop and I'm being let, let go is, it's not something that I take in my stride, uh, sadly. Um, so we'll see how that affects me. I, I may, I may find other things to divert me. I'm, if I'm not feeling like painting Titanic stuff, I'm not going to paint Titanic stuff. I'm not going to force me to do it because I need to do it. Uh, there's just too much stress in the world at the moment, especially with everything that's going on with the general crisis. Uh, um, we'll see how it all goes. Um, I hope everyone else out there is staying safe and doing what they can through the crisis. Um, and I hope your hobby is going pretty well. Uh, email me. Let me know what you're doing. Uh, share stuff on my Facebook page. Uh, glad, glad to see other people and see what they're doing. Okay, time for another Basics of Strategy segment. I did this a few episodes ago when I talked about uh, the activation play and how it was very important understanding how your list operated within activations for winning both the movement phase and the uh, combat phase. Well, today I'm going to talk about another basic strategy of Titanicus, focusing fire. This should not come as a surprise to anyone. This is actually a pretty mainstay idea across nearly all war games. It is rare for any one unit in a war game to have the firepower to delete an, another enemy unit, unless those two enemy units have a completely mismatched level of power. For example, even a warlord will struggle to take out a, a fully shielded and undamaged warhound in one round of shooting. It is possible, but it will struggle. And as the power levels between two units become equalised, it becomes almost impossible. So. The best strategy you have to win the game is to focus fire on one target. Have two titans target one enemy titan to destroy it, and the following turn they both target another titan and destroy it. In two rounds you destroy two titans. Now on paper, those two titans could have also destroyed the same two titans by not focusing fire. But by focusing fire you're depriving the enemy of a round of shooting with one of their titans, and that slowly wins you the game. This obviously is a very simplistic view of this. Um, but I hope most people are already aware of this, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. Um, it's a pretty simple idea. But there is a point in conversation coming up in the show where I talk about a time when you do not want to be engaging in the strategy. So just wanted to take a minute out just to explain it before I move on. Okay, welcome to the main section of the show. It's going to be a deep dive into the war griffins, the Litro Griffonicus. I'm going to go over their appearances in the Black Library books and the general fluff of the game. I'm going to look at their rules and what I think of them and how I would use them. I'm going to put together a sort of what I would want to collect list and a quick spiel on how I would use it and uh, how I would paint and convert it or what I'd be looking to doing for painting and converting it. Um, yeah. Um, I'm just going to say this at this point. Don't expect as deep a dive into the fluff as we had for the Death's Heads. Um, I haven't just read as much of the material. Uh, they also don't occur as much in the books. So I'm going to go over where you can find them and where they're referenced. But it's going to be a lot more limited than it was for the Death's Heads. Um, but hopefully in the future, other Legios I will know more about. 
But then again, there are a lot of Legios out there with very little fluff. So this section is going to always be pretty variable on these reviews. Okay, and with that, uh, we'll get on with it. Okay, so the Black Library appearance of the Legio Caponicus are down to three main books. Talon Executioner, which is the novella by John French. Titan Death by Guy Haley. And The Vengeful Spirit by Graham McNeil. Um, their appearance in these books are all as titans being deployed in the field of battle. They don't really focus on the princeps or moderati of the titans and just talk about the titan as an entire individual character. Now I've read both Titan Death and Vengeful Spirit and most of Talon Executioner and I have no real huge recollections of the titans in the game books. Um, they are scenery pieces for the main characters of the story. Um, definitely not in the same way that Legio Mortis is so key in the stories they were part of. Um, it feels very much that Graphonic has come out when Games Workshop need a loyalist Titan Legion and just want to present something whole cloth. They are known to be the loyalists, so you can just say, hey, a loyal Titan Legion is Legio Graphonicus. Which is a shame. Um, they have a lot of character, and uh, I look forward to the day where they're front and centre of a book. I'm sure there is some author working on the story, and uh, yeah, when that comes about, I'll talk about it on this podcast. Uh, yeah. Please let me know if you think I've missed a good story. Um, love to read some more, and I'll make an effort to do so. Thanks. So, where is Graphonicus talked about? Well, initially, it's in the uh, gaming books of 40k in the first edition of Titanicus. Uh, they were mentioned in uh, both Imperial Armor Volume 1 and Imperial Armor Volume 11. Um, and there was time when they mentioned, appeared in Codex Eye of Terror and Codex Tyranids. Um, Tyranids, obviously, for the Tyranids' attack on their home bases in the uh, 41st millennium. Um, and they popped up in places in other, you know, on Warhammer community, fair amount. They are the poster child of Titanicus. So there's a lot of like articles about them. Uh, not much in the way of fluff, though. But in a way, that changed with the Horus Heresy Black Books. There are some very important appearances of them in both the uh, Book 3 Extermination and Book 6 Retribution. Um, I'm going to not go into the actual full details of where they occur in the Black Books other than the section describing them, which in this case is uh, Book 3 Extermination. These are found on pages 160 to 163. And these pages cover the basic details of Legiocophonicus, including color plates and kill banner designs, um, and also descriptions of several of the Titans through the defense of Panama. Um, there are some really good art and interesting banner placements. Um, but they also, like I say, cover the details. And I'm going to do a quick summary of that now. Okay, the opening section of this talks about the history of their homeworld and uh, how they've started building a bit of an empire. Uh, and then a meeting up from Mars and they're joining the Imperium. Um, it covers uh, the first battles where they fought in the Great Crusade, referencing both the Rangan genocide and the Ulinor campaign. It talks about their martial cult culture of the war griffins, being a, one of fierce pride and honor, uh, valuing discipline and skill. Um, they talk about how the Moderati and Princess have their own bloodline they track, like knights of old. Um, and uh, how they had a particular way of behavior. They also talk about the fact that 
every Titan and Legion of Copernicus became a visual testament to the war engine's own war history. Uh, much like uh, knights, knight houses, uh, they would have large heldric banners proclaiming their might and the history of battles the Titans have been in. Uh, each Titan had a very individualized uh, heldric design, which I think is cool and something we I'll reference later. It goes on to talk about the lust for glory for individual achievements when the Legio's ranks and this leading to rivalries between its princeps. Uh, this was, they then created a very highly structured dueling system to deal with these rivalries. Um, but um, this led to sort of fanaticism uh, eventually towards the imperial ideas and loyalty to the emperor, uh, which made it very hard for the war master to get his claws into this Titan Legion. They stayed pretty loyal. Um, obviously, no Titan Legion was 100% loyal, but predominantly the Graphonicus stayed loyal. As such, as we enter the latter stages of the Great Crusade, the Graphonicus began to be split up. Yeah, small detachments spread throughout the galaxy to lower their strength, as Horus did with all forces he knew that he would not be able to get fully to his side. Uh, that meant when the Horus heresy was revealed and um, Horus started his march on Terra, uh, the Graphonicus weren't able to marshal their entire legion together actually weren't able to do so until after the scouring. Now, at the start of the Horus Heresy, it talks about what their martial strength was. Um, they had a lot of Titans. Uh, they reckon they had 176 uh, god engines in a variety of classes, mostly uh, Reavers, but there was an even split between the rest being Scouts and uh, Warlords, Nemesises, and Imperator types. Uh, they were also noted having a largely Cybernetica cohort and four battalions of Skatari specialised in defending these Titans. Um, which is cool, and they're definitely something people should be thinking about when taking stratagems. Uh, the Mechanicum supported the Legiocophonicus pretty heavily. Um, it also talks about the fact that the Legiocophonicus had a lot of ships. They could move around the galaxy pretty easily and independently, which is uh, was pretty important throughout the Horus Heresy. And that sort of covers everything in this book. I mean, I know they occur in the storyline of the actual Black Book, and I encourage people to go and read them. Uh, but I'm not going to pass that out particularly. Uh, there are other podcasts for that. Um, yeah, just gives you a theme of a very proud um, Titan Legion. Leans very heavily into the traditions of knightliness and heraldry and stuff, which we can see later when we start talking about how we would paint these models. Okay, now let's move on to the rules itself. The rules for Lechiographonicus can be found in page 89 of the main rulebook. Um, they aren't as well put together as they are in the supplement books, but all the rules do exist, are listed in this section. Lechiographonicus have two legion traits and three pieces of legio-specific war gear, as well as the standard princeps traits. The first trait is called Lust for Glory. The description begins, The princeps of the Lechiographonicus are known far and wide for their martial tradition, and their eternal hunt for prestige and in battle. Away from the battlefield they engage in honour duels, with each feeling the need to constantly prove their edge has not been dulled. When they go to war it is not uncommon for the princeps of the Titan Legion to claim targets on the battlefield, staking their reputation on their intent to slay a particular foe. In game, this works in a very similar fashion actually. At the start of the game, Legiographonicus players declare which of their titans will claim an enemy titan as a target. You declare this out loud, but you also write it down so there's no confusion. If the Titan you have declared attacks its target, the controlling player can reroll all hit rolls of one and add one to any armor result. 
um, of a hit. However, if another Titan attacks the target of that Titan, then these bonuses go away. So in other words, start of the game, for every Legiophonicus Titan on the battlefield, you declare what Titan on the enemy side is their target. If any Titan other than that Legiophonicus Titan attacks the target, the bonuses are lost. But until then, they get to have a pile of rerolls. Um, this rule is actually fairly good, because one of the points that's very clear is that the claim is only removed when another friendly titan targets your claim. It says nothing about knights. So you can have quite a lot of knights in a Legiochronicus army supporting the titans, allowing those titans to keep their rerolls up when targeting their, uh, their claim. Um, I'm not quite sure how I would build an entire strategy around it. Um, it's something I'm going to think about. But it's pretty good. You're effectively getting free rerolls, which is always good in this game, and adding plus one to the strength of all your weaponry. Um, there's a lot to be said for that. The next Legion trait is the mainstay of the Titan Legion. The description reads, The Legiographonicus counts a disproportionately large number of Reaver Battle Titans amongst its ranks. As a result, they are often outfitted for unusual battlefield roles and included in mana pools in place of different classes of Titan. What this means in game is that one Warlord or Warhound Titan may be replaced by a Reaver in any Legiographonicus mana pool. Now, this isn't as good as it sounds. There just aren't that many mana pools that actually work for switching out the Reaver. What you need is you need a mana pool that's rules do not specifically point to needing a Warlord or a Warhound in the mana pool to gain the benefit. Um, in that case, you're going to put the Reaver in and it's going to have no special rule for being in the mana pool. You may as well just put it in the list as a support type. Now, maybe if you're trying to get a really small mana pool together, um, it'd be a good way of, you know, adding an extra bit of firepower, swapping out, say, a Warhound for it, or even taking an Axiom mana pool and dropping the uh, Warlord for a Reaver, so you can do two Reavers and a Warhound. Um, but I don't know. I think there are just better mana pools out there. I mean, later I'm going to talk about some specific war gear that this Titan that you swapped out gains. But neither of them pack that much of a punch to encourage me to switch. Yeah, it's a very weird trait. I'm not as enthused about it as I am for the primary trait. And neither of them are incredible. And I think the word I found use a lot in the descriptions of the Death's Heads traits, whether they were utilitarian, you'd always find use for them in a game. Legiographonicus don't have that with their traits. Uh, you're really going to need to put a thinking hat on and really work out how you want to use these traits. Um, you've just got to change your mindset how you're playing to make best use of them, which is kind of good because it will push you in a themey way, but may not be... It's not going to be the easiest to do. It's going to require a lot more thought. Okay, so that brings us to the Legion specific war gear. The first piece of war gear is the Enhanced Orspex Relay. This piece of upgrade equipment is for the Warhound Titan, um, and its description follows. The Warhound Titans of any Titan Legion are the best when ranging ahead of their battle group, and those of Legiographonicus exemplify this more than any other. In keeping with their Legio traditions 
Staunch individuality, the Legionicophonicus Warhounds Princeps tend not to hunt in packs, preferring to strike out alone and bait the enemy at close range. Tech adepts of Chronicus 4 have long worked hard to capitalize on this fearless behavior and developed enhanced auto-spec relays which transfer close-range targeting data back to the rest of the battle group. How this works in games is for an additional 10 points, you can apply the enhanced auto relays to any warhound in a Legionicophonicus battle group. These relays allow you to measure the distance to any targets that are within 12 of a friendly warhound before measuring the target. Or to put another way, if you've got an enemy titan within 12 inches of a warhound with this targeting relay, you can pre-measure your shots. This is an interesting piece of war gear. 10 points isn't much, and I don't know, I like the idea of being able to pre-measure in Titanicus. I've never done it, so I can't tell you how valuable it's going to be. Um, Having to pre-measure for a target that's within 12 inches of uh, Warhound um, may be a bit of a drawback, actually. Because you're already going to know vaguely distances. Yeah, I don't know. I feel it's a little situational, to be honest. Um, I get away without pre-measuring in most of my games. You, I have a vaguely good eye about what's going to be in range or not. And the few times I've been caught not knowing range, or I better had a, I usually had a better target. Um, yeah, and usually you have to be in that position where you're in that debate about what target's in range, and then have your warhound within 12 inches of it. Um, I don't know. Several of these running around the table, I reckon you could start triangulating positions better and getting a really accurate map about where everything is, but I'm not sure it's needed. Yeah. Um, I'm as flavorful, I'll take it. It's only going to be 20 points if you put it on two Warhounds. It's not going to be the end of the world. But I just don't think it's really that mechanically great. The next piece of war here is the Gravaticus plating for Arriva Battle Titans. Where Arriva Battle Titan of the Lidrochophonicus is to be fielded in place of a larger Battle Titan, its hull is often fitted with heavier armor plating to reflect its enhanced frontline role. Basically, this war gear means that if you have a Reaver that you swapped out for a Warlord, you can spend 20 points and give it plus one armor to its legs and body at a cost of minus one to its movement, both boosted and standard. This is okay. I mean, it's going to give you a Reaver that looks more like a Warlord, uh, a little bit more durable. Um, I don't know. It's not that great. Probably not worth 20 points. Um, yeah. But it does open the door for some cool conversions. And I think a dedicated Legion of Copernicus player may want, to, may want to build a, a Reaver Titan with this upgrade to put in some manacles. It's kind of fun, but I think kind of fun is where it ends. The final piece of war gear available to Legion of Copernicus is the Motive Subreactors. Although Reaver Titans are not designed to act as scouts, Legion of Copernicus has them in such great numbers that sometimes it's necessary for them to be adapted to the role. The most effective method involves the installation of a secondary plasma reactor on top of each leg, allowing the re-tightened to operate at full locomotive capacity without drawing on the main reactor. What this means is when you replace a Warhound with a Reaver in a Drophonicus Manipole, you can fit these motive subreactors for 25 points. This allows the Reaver to use its boosted speed each time it moves without pushing its reactor. The downside is each time you suffer a critical hit to the legs, you roll a d6. On a three or more, you increase your uh, reactor level by one. This is really fun. I mean, 25 points is actually a fair bit, um, you know, looking at a serious investment. 
But with it, you're talking about a pretty fast reaver. Um, you're not going to generate any extra heat for just boosting along. That reaver is going to move like crazy. Um, yeah, it's kind of fun. I like it. Do you know what more to say about this one? Uh, it's pretty simple. Uh, the drawback is a drawback, but it's not really that bad. Because um, you're not going to be generating any extra heat by charging up the table. You're going to have the servitor case to get your void shields going, so it's only when you get to really close range that you're going to start taking critical hits to the legs if everything's going to plan. Um, sure, there are ways to really ruin your day, um, so it is a bit more of a risk, but I think it's worth it. Um, yeah, I kind of like it. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah. In conversion-wise, the idea of being able to put some sort of, you know, second reactor on the back of those legs, it's going to look pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I need to get my thinking hack cap onto how I'd actually build them. Um, but yeah, there's some some definite conversion possibilities and something that will look pretty cool and unique. Um, and I love close combat uh, reavers, and this definitely helps them a lot. Um, yeah. So that brings us on to the personal traits. Uh, like all Titan Legions, you have three options. The first is a trait called Reckless Maverick. Once per battle, a Titan can be activated a second time in the movement or combat phase. After doing so, the Titan advances three reactor levels. Yeah, this is kind of fun. My reading of the rules is that it stacks with uh, Weapons to Full, because Weapons to Full allows you to fire even if it's fired already in the combat phase. So there's a small amount of um, situationalness that needs to occur for this, but you rock this trait and uh, Weapons to Full and you get a Warlord Titan, you know, about to be destroyed, but you can activate it once. Yeah, you're going to activate it three times, um, which is going to be really annoying for your opponent. I mean, that Warlord Titan's going to destroy itself. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you'll take a lot of people out with you. It's kind of fun. I like it. And even without um, Weapons to Fall, um, it's not bad. Um, I mean... You're definitely going to be doing things that's going to hurt your Titan, but there are some times when just getting that extra moving, getting that extra round of shots, much like my description of Weapons to Fall on the last episode, has utility. Um, I think react pushing the reactor three levels is mm, interesting, maybe a little too much, uh, especially for the smaller Titans. This is definitely one you can't run in a Warhound, but yeah, it's not bad. So the next trait is Master Duelist. Um, for this one, you can re-roll fail-to-hit rolls uh, when making attacks against targets that are within 8 inches. Now, right off, I'm just going to say this really synergizes well with the Therox Light Maniple. Um, maybe you could run a Gophonicus Light Maniple with three Reavers and one Warhound. Um, make the uh, one of them the uh, Master Duelist and just charge them at the table like crazy. Um, get in there and really slug it out. Um, yeah. This is less good for a Warlord. Um, when you're within 8, you aren't going to be able to use your Carpace weapons against uh, most smaller Titans. Um, this is very good for a Reaver. I mean, in a Reaver, you are going to be able to use your Carpace weapons against other Reavers and Warlords. Um, so you're going to get those, re ex those extra rerolls will help there. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty viable. I like it. So the final trait is Hunter Without Equal. This attaches itself to the Lust for Glory rule that gives you a marked Titan and allows you to re-roll ones to hit when targeting it. Uh, this allows you to re-roll all the hit rolls when targeting your claimed Titan. 
This, again, is really good. I love rerolls. Rerolls are a fantastic mechanic. They are... I keep saying they're hard to get, and I keep finding ways to get them in Titanicus, but they are. A standard Titanicus army doesn't come with a pile of rerolls. You kind of got to work them into your list. And this gives you a lot. Um, you put this on a Warlord, and you mark, you know, the biggest enemy Titan there. Your, your Warlord is going to be able to take out another Warlord if you're rerolling all hits. It's just pretty good. Let's do a quick tactical overview of uh, how I would play Leader of Phonicus. Okay, at first glance, and to be honest, how a lot of the other strategy guides out there on the internet talk about Leader of Phonicus, you really don't want to be taking that many Titans. You want to focus on Knights and other support assets, aka keeping points aside so you can take additional stratagems, to allow you to play the game where you don't have to have Titans focusing fire and losing the Lust for Glory special rules. But I'm not so sure that's correct. Focusing fire is the best way to destroy enemy titans in this game. And the longer you don't destroy an enemy titan, the longer it will take. More times through the damage control phase, they'll get an attempt to reroll. Another round of firing to hurt you, take out your weapons. So you need to focus fire to take out an enemy titan. It's just, it's the nature of the game. And playing your way to try and avoid that is going to do you no favours. And if you want to run a list with a pile of knights, run a knight household. Um, the additional rerolls on three titans isn't worth running a three titan list and then, you know, four banners. It's just, no, it's not the way to play Titanicus. The trick is not to focus entirely on the rule, but understand where it fits in gameplay. What the Lust for Glory rule means, it means that when you've marked the titan, the titan who's marked his prey has to be the first titan to fire on that. They are going to lead the charge in destroying that titan, with the rest of the battle group coming up behind to finish it off afterwards. Now, this is not to say taking a few knight banners and looking for the stratagems that will help strip shields aren't good ideas. Any way you can get the shields down before the first titan fires on its prey is good. You'll get more of the bonus. That plus one to armor penetration you get for the Lust of Glory is really useful. So there is a place for knights and there is a place for stratagems, but it's not the entirety of what you need to be running. Okay, let's run a quick hypothetical game. Um, you take an Arcus Battleline Matapal as your Gryphonicus force, with one Nemesis Warbringer Titan, and two Warhound Titans and a Banner of Knights. Your enemy is running a Manapal with a Warlord and two um, Warhounds. Your Primus Senioris is the uh, Warbringer Nemesis, and you give it the ability to reroll all hits uh, when targeting its prey. So, you set up, you put your two... Um, Warhounds aggressively forward, your nemesis is hiding well in cover, preferably completely out of line of sight because you aren't going to need it. Um, the enemy deploys in a, you know, standard way, pretty aggressive. It's going to move up towards you to try and get to your uh, Warbringer Titan. And you put your banner on the flank to bring it around quickly. Um, the game starts, you move, you move, you move both your um, Warhounds up to near their Warhounds and match prey, so your Warhounds are praying you after the Warhounds that... Nemesis is preying on the uh, Warlord. The first turn, the Warhounds target their prey. Now, if you want them, say, with the um, Vulcan Megabolt or the Plasma Blast Gun, at relatively close range, which you may be able to get to in that first turn, and the rerolls you're going to get to hit, there's a good chance that Vulcan Megabolter may take out an enemy shield in one round, especially if you can sprinkle in some additional 
stratagem or something. Um, there are a couple of ways to strip shields even quicker. Cursed Earth or something. Um, so you bring down the enemy shield, you fire up the Plasma Blast Gun, um, you're going to get a plus one on armor penetration, you maximal fire it. There's a good chance that the two Warhounds will get a pretty heartily damage the enemy Warhounds in that first round of fire. It's not going to be able to destroy them, but you're going to come close. Now at which point, your Nemesis doesn't target its prey. It goes and finishes off the uh, um, enemy Warhounds. They've been weakened up by the uh, your, war lord, your Warhounds. They're probably pretty close to being destroyed. Hopefully your uh, your Banner of Knights will live to end, lend support as well. Maybe you have to take out the, out the other Warhound in the first turn. It's theoretically possible in the dice, but you've probably got, you know, one crippled enemy Warhound and an untouched Warlord, but your mana pool is probably moderately okay. Uh, your Warhounds are probably looking a little beaten up. Maybe even you've lost one at this point, but that's okay. That's okay. The next round, you push everything towards the enemy Warlord. You put your, um, so you line up your shots with your, um, Warhound getting a line of sight on the enemy Warlord. You move your knights in. Hopefully you've had a stratagem that can strip some shields off the Warlord. And then you open fire with the uh, Nemesis Warbringer Titan. You take out the enemy shield. You uh, Quake Cannon to hopefully soften it up. Maybe even shift its facings. You don't, it doesn't see you as much. If you're really lucky, it's going to open up its flank to the Warhound. At which point the, turn at, uh, the rest of the activations can be your, your knights and your Warhound. And hopefully you can critically damage that. Warlord. Um, you're probably not going to destroy it, but you're going to be in a position where you're going to be real close to being able to take it out in the turn three. Um, and that's how I would run it. You're going to just use that Lust for Glory for that, just that extra push to give your Titans that extra bit of oomph. Uh, it's not going to dictate your entire strategy. You're still going to focus fire, but it's just the order in which you focus fire. Every Chronicus Titan has to have a full complement of weapons. It cannot just specialize in Weapons that destroy unshielded titans. It cannot just specialize in weapons that strip shields. You're going to need a bit of everything on a Chronicus Titan because it's going to have to at work in every one of the fa phases of destroying an enemy titan. And it's for that reason, I actually think the Reaver Titan themat is thematically the best titan to take with Collegial Chronicus, and it's probably also one of the best titans mechanically to take. Um, thankfully, the second special rule allows you to switch out a Reaver um, and give it some bonuses. Um, the locomotives are definitely the best switch you can make. Um, the free movement's just incredible. Um, so I'll be looking at trying to put that in most lists. Um, get that Reaver in there and get it doing stuff. You want Reavers, they have the good all-rounding pa package. In fact, because Saya Maniple isn't terrible for Legiocophonicus. Um, they're an all-round Titan and they their weapons strip shields as well as they destroy Titans and they can get up the table quickly. It's everything you need for Leader of uh, which is good. Okay, uh, I think that brings sort of the 10,000 view overview over. I'll go and describe a list next. Okay, so I'm going to do an overview of a list. This is the list I would run if I was collecting Leader of um, This isn't the list I would run for every game, but it's the, the aim of my collection and it would give me the capacity to play several different lists. It includes a total of six Titans and no additional supports. So I'd probably want to sprinkle some of that into the collection as well. So the first part of the group would be a Ferox Light Maniple. It would actually be three Reaver Titans and one Warhound, with one of the Reavers being a swap out for the standard mandatory Warhound. Uh, that swap out would also get the advanced locomotives um, upgrade and be the primus of the uh, Maniple. Uh, it would be given the Master Jeweler special rule. 
uh, and probably run with dual close combat weapons. That Titan is just going to scream up the board, get within 8 inches, and get plus 1 to uh, any armor values to hit from the uh, uh, light mana pool upgrade, and reroll all hits because of the uh, uh, dual list. It just synergizes very well, and you're running with Reavers, which you want to be using for Leader Chroponicus. The Warhound, if you've got the spare points, you can put the uh, targeting relays on it, which will help the other part of the mana pool, the other collection. The second part of the collection would be an Axiom Maniple, which would be a Warlord and two Reavers. Again, one of the Reavers swap out for a Warhound. Uh, and again, I'd probably put the sub-reactors on that Reaver to have another Reaver that could advance up the table very quickly. All that with, you know, standard weapon setups comes to right around 2,000 points. Um, it's not a bad collection for Legia Acrophonicus. You're going to put six Titans on the table, uh, which is plenty of activations. Um, and you're going to bring a lot of firepower. That's a lot of Reavers on the table. You're looking at uh, good four of them. Um, two of them are going to be built for mid-range brawling. Two of them are going to be built for close combat as they advance up the table pretty quickly. Um, it's an in-your-face list. It's very tally-ho to the enemy, which is kind of the Graphonicus style. Um, and it, yeah, and you can play with the actual setup. You can just run the Ferox and put the Warlord in as a support titan if you want to play a smaller game. Um, you could bulk up the Axiom if you want to do that. So it's got some flexibility as a collection. Um, and I like that. I One regret when I did the review of the Death's Heads, I wish I'd given some options of how I would play the collection is more than just that one list. Um, I mean, you know, with magnetizing options on these titans, you've got a lot of space for a good collection. Um, yeah. I'm not going to repeat myself um, and talk about how to use the list. I feel I did that in the tactics section this time. Um, it's going to be a very similar way to play as I would have done with the Arcus Maniple. It's all about, you know, picking your targets and knowing when to combine firepower. There's no grand trick to using it. Okay. But I will, like with the Death's Head, talk about how I would collect them and conversions and painting I would do. So, what conversions would I be doing on this list? Well, minimal. Um, Legion of are, I mean, the ultramarines of the era of Titanicus world. They are like the standard Titan. I mean, when Games Workshop put out their painting scheme for how to paint a Titan, it was the Legion of they used. Uh, it's a really good Duncan painting video that if you collect Legion of you probably should have a watch of. That said, I think you can really push the ornamentation of these Titans. I would, if collecting Graphonicus, want banners on every Titan. I want banners under every gun. Um, the main rule book talks about how the heldery works, and I would really lean into that. Um, I'd have tilting plates in, on every Titan I could manage. I wouldn't use any option that didn't have a tilting plate, and I would try and individualize the heldery of individual Titans. Um, I mean, that's easily researchable. Um, but I'd be looking for additional knightly parts as well. I'd also be looking to make a lot of variants from the paint scheme. Um, although Graphonicus has a sort of uniform, um, I would try and make every Titan slightly unique. Um, kind of leaning into, you know, the feudal heraldry of, you know, medieval times where every knight's colours were slightly different. Um, I'd have, you know, an accent paint on each Titan that would, you know, be a slightly different colour, have a pattern or something like that. Um, I think that would look pretty cool. Um, 
I would look at the painting schemes and advice of the Imperial Knights in 40k. I think there's a lot you could bring from that over um, how to instill a sort of individuality to every Titan. Um, and this can be done for any Titan Legion, but I think Legion Phonica should just take it to that next level. Um, they are the most knightly of knight Titans. Um, okay. Now, the one part of this which is crying out for conversions are the upgrades for the Reavers and the Warhounds. Um, the extra armor, I'm not 100% sure how I would go about doing this. I mean, I've seen some images of people playing around with Reaver bodies on Warbringer legs. Uh, that would look really cool. But it's an expensive conversion. I'm not sure I would do it for uh, upgrade. I'm not going to be taking a huge amount. Um, I probably could put some extra armor plates on. There are, I don't know, there are places you can get armor plates uh, in other kits. So maybe you can cut some down. Um, I just really don't know. Um, I don't have any easy advice for this one. Um, I would raid bits boxes and see if you can find, like I say, extra armor plates, ways to bulk out the armor on the legs. Um, particularly like above the knee area, there's plenty of space there for some additional armor plates on a reaver. Um, now the other two upgrades, now they're a lot more doable. Um, the motive sub-reactors is going to be about building something on the backside of the legs that look like a reactor. Um, I would look oddly towards the space marine range. Uh, of their multi-melter kits, uh, particularly on the land speeder multi-melters, have this piece that slips in under them with these two sort of spheres that look like, you know, heat sinks or something to do with a multi-melter. Well, the way they're built, they fit pretty well right on the back of um, a Reaver's legs. And putting them there with a bit of green stuff and some piping and wiring, you could make it look like those were the sub-reactors. Um, you probably get something of a similar effect from like something like the melter bomb or other grenade-like thing from 40k. Um, I definitely keep with the Imperial range and probably the Asimilitarum or Space Marine range. Um, but there are parts that, you know, look reactor-ish. Um, generally, grenades or something, probably explosives, but a bit of, bit of cabling, a bit of hosing, putting on the back side of a, the Reaver's legs would probably do pretty well for balking it out and making it look like there was some sort of, I don't know, tech boost going on there. Um, that's fairly easy to do, I hope. Now, as for the sensor arrays on the Warhounds, again, I'd look towards the Space Marine kits. Um, most of the big vehicles in the Space Marine range have little sort of lens boxes that go on top of the guns for the targeting array. If you get one of those and position it sort of on the side of a Warhound with a bit, again, of green stuff, maybe a few plates, you could build something that looks like a, you know, series of targeting lenses, uh, maybe a couple of aerials coming out the top of it, will work pretty well for giving an idea of some sort of some crazy mecha mechanicum adaptation. Um, I'd keep away from, you know, radar dishes and stuff, because the scales of that will just look a little wonky. You want something, something pre-sci-fi-ish, and I think some, you know, a box of lenses and, you know, would look pretty cool. Maybe have a couple of aerials sticking out of it as well, the fine detailing, that'd look pretty awesome. Uh, if done right. The Games Workshop Vehicle Command Upgrade Sprue probably contains bits that you could use for both conversions, um, if done right. Um, so probably a worthy investment. Um, I think I could get something out of it to look like uh, sub-reactors as well, um, which would be pretty cool if you could get both from one sprue.
So, as mentioned many times throughout the Titanicus books, no Legio stayed purely loyalist or purely traitor. Same is true for Graphonicus. There were some traitors of Graphonicus. Um, how would I paint them up or convert them? And uh, I think they were actually pretty fun to do. Um, you could go to town by putting uh, little bits of chaotic iconography um, on the heraldry. Um, maybe even lean into some subtle, like, cornate symbols. Uh, you could see, you know, their warrior pride leading them down the path of blood, the Eightfold Path, and uh, you could indicate that in places. Um, tie it off that perhaps they were deployed with some one of the traitor legions and they sort of fell into chaos with them. Um, I think their rules work pretty well with a traitor force, and uh, there are actually some traitor stratagems that would really help them. Uh, Bloodlust and the like work really well with their rules. Um, in fact, it combos up really well, and uh, I don't know. I'd almost want to collect a traitor Graphonicus force. I mean, if I did collect a Graphonicus force, it would be a traitor Graphonicus force. Um, really annoy some folks. Uh, or maybe it would. I don't know. I think it'd be fun. Um, there's something wonderful about that inversion there. Uh, and a lot easier to do, I think, than doing a uh, loyalist Death's Head collection. Um, yeah, something to think about. Well, I think this almost wraps up my deep dive into Legio Graphonicus. Uh, I suppose some closing thoughts on the Legio. I like them. Uh, I don't love them. I'm not sure I would rush off to collect them anytime soon. But they intrigue me. Uh, I definitely want to see people playing them around the globe. To me, uh, their nightly themes are a little overdone. Um, it's a little one-dimensional, perhaps. Um, and I'd really like to see Game Swap Shop return to them and give them some depth. Uh, Black Library do a great job whenever they focus their attention as some, on a, any part of the background, uh, the focus of the story, rather than just something to bring in. And that's kind of been where Graphonicus have been for the majority of the time. They've been this Titan Legion that gets wheeled in when you know a loyalist Titan Legion is needed. On the tabletop, uh, their rules are okay. They're really not in the best of the best of the Titan Legions, and... They're not the worst. Uh, they're playable. Uh, I think they'll be fun to play with. Um, I don't think they're my style. Um, though I can see how to use them, I'm not sure I enjoy that style of play. Um, but uh, I'm sure there are people out there who do, especially the theatrics you can do with naming your targets. Uh, it's really, I don't know, there's something there, for, especially for the role people who are more interested in the role-playing parts of this game storytelling it's there's great depth and a lot you can do um it's the same reason i really didn't like the bretonians back when i used to play warhammer fantasy they're just it's not my aesthetic but there are people out there who it is and for them i think it does it really well i really do hope that games workshop come back and revisit graphonicus um they really could do with a time in a source book as the front and center guys um Maybe the defense of Panama or something needs to be a Titanica supplement and they can be reprinted, perhaps given some new rules. I think a stratagem or two would really go a long way to help them. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't know quite what stratagems I would give them. Um, but I think there's places for it. Or actually, thinking about it, a really good stratagem to give them would be a two point stratagem that would allow them to declare a new target in the middle of a game. Even a one-point stratagem and allow them to do, do it multiple times would add a bit of flexibility to the uh, game.
Anyway, let me know what you think. Uh, email me, message me on Facebook if you have different opinions, and I'll include them in future episodes. Uh, thanks. So that brings me to the end of the show. If you have any questions or communications you wish to be included in the next episode, please email me at god.engine.cast at gmail.com. Uh, next week's show is going to cover Psy-Titans, uh, the rules and where they occur in the law. Um, so yeah, until next time, I wish you well and good fortune.